Ephesians chapter four, starting verse 15. Providence, hear the word of the Lord. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your abundant grace and kindness given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, as you are working to draw men and women to yourself, that any man, woman, or child that is gathered here with us this morning that does not yet have hope and faith in Jesus Christ, that you would reveal yourself in a real powerful way and make them one with you. Father, we also ask in the name of Jesus that as we open this word that you would bring us clarity and hope and vision, Lord, for what gospel relationships can look like. Father, we know that we are a people that are prone to wander. And so, Lord, I ask by your care and your guidance that you would bring us back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Casey Cease. I recently, my family and I recently relocated to the Brenham, Texas area. I do not work for Bluebell. That's, I've had people come up and ask me, do you work for Bluebell? And unfortunately, I do not work for Bluebell. I've eaten plenty in my day, uh, but don't work there. Um, I was a church planner for several years in the Woodlands area and then recently into that uh, chapter, and we moved back to Brenham, and I'm doing a bunch of different stuff. I own a book publishing company called Lucid Books. I uh, do coaching and consulting both on the nonprofit church side and in business, and I still travel and preach whenever given the opportunity to share God's word. Um, as uh, I love to edify God's people. Yesterday I was brought in for the mystery of marriage um, to talk about marital intimacy. So stranger guy come, comes in to talk about sex. And so I can say whatever I want because I don't go to church here. So I did. Um, and uh, it was a joy, a really encouraging time. I, you know, the, the, the couples that were here um, really seemed 
uh, to get a lot out of the day. And so I was really glad to see that your congregation, your church, your leadership invests in those type of relationships. This morning, I want to go a little bit broader and talk about general relationships, overall gospel relationships. Um, the main point that I'm going to be hitting on today is that Jesus is our aim and our hope for healthy gospel relationships. Jesus isn't the entry point into relationships alone. Jesus is the foundation of those relationships. Jesus is the aim because ultimately we are called as followers of Jesus to become more and more conformed to the image of Christ, to become more like Christ as we mature. The first three chapters of Ephesians is breaking down the gospel for the church in Ephesus. Chapter 4 begins talking about the unity in the body. And then we begin in verse 15 where there's an inverse saying, okay, instead of being immature, here's what maturity begins to look like as it pertains to your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Before I dive too much into the text, though, I want to hit this um, understanding that loneliness is in, viewed now as an epidemic in our country. Loneliness, and really in the world. Um, more and more people are experiencing loneliness. Uh, one uh, article says, new research shows that loneliness, social isolation, and living alone pose a greater health threat to Americans than being overweight. So if your wife keeps telling you to go on a diet, guys, you can say, I just need friends right now. <laughs> and then she might rebuff and say, well, you need friends that are not edible. <laughs> okay. So, but there's this, I mean, even in marriages, as I said yesterday, we see a lot of loneliness, a lot of isolation. And as followers of Jesus, we've been saved into relationship with the Lord and therefore empowered and enabled to bear with each other in love and have relationships with each other. It's a mess though. Relationships really had are messy because you bring saints who still happen to sin into dynamic relationships, bringing their baggage of life and it becomes a train wreck, doesn't it? Yeah, it can. A lot. One of the things we hit on yesterday I want, I want to share with you today um, as we go into this is many of us still view the world transactionally as opposed to relationally. In the Garden of Eden, when man and woman were created, they were created to have a relationship with God and relate with each other and a dynamic relationship with the creation. But when sin entered in, relationships were broken. And from that point on, we began to see transactions. We even see that God transacted with Adam and Eve before they even left the garden by killing an animal and taking the clothes or, or the fur or the skin and covering their, their shame. He took a life to cover their shame to point them towards a hope of life in him still. Throughout the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, we see constant opportunities of sacrifice so that people can be restored to right relationship. Fortunately, we had a king and savior come named Jesus who became the ultimate sacrifice the ultimate transaction, so that we once again are empowered to relate. You see, through Christ, we have then been paid for and empowered and liberated to relate. We can relate with God. And when we relate with God, we're then able through Christ to relate with each other. We're able to begin to view other people the way God views other people rather than viewing them from a self-centered, isolated, lonely standpoint. So you're going to hear me talk a lot about relating. Let's relate with God. Let's, let's grow in God because most of us, even in our marriages, even with our children, are transactional. Now, I'm a briber with the best of them with my kids. I can bribe my child, right? But, but the problem is, is a lot of times we don't mean to, moms and dads, but we give conditional love to our kids based upon their performance rather than on the, their station of the fact that they are your child. 
And love doesn't just mean entitlement and let them do whatever they want, permission to act like boneheads. What it does mean, though, is it gives opportunity for your children to know the way to Christ, to have fun, to mess up, to receive grace, and to be redirected. And so as we dig into the word today, I want us to view this through a shift towards relational. And relational is difficult because it, it requires vulnerability. And relational is, is challenging because we are naturally mindful of transactions. And, but, but I would say the way that we move from loneliness in relationships to meaningfulness in relationships is by relating. And the only way I, I have seen in the word of God to be able to really relate is by first trusting in the ultimate transaction of Christ, who has paid it all, who has forgiven our sins, who promises eternity, who gives us his Holy Spirit, who illuminates his word, who gives us relationships that are lasting so that we might grow and enjoy him more. I always love the nine o'clock service because there's several reasons why you're here. There might be a sports game coming on around noon. You might be like me, you like to eat lunch early. Or you're an introvert and there's less people. <laughs> Amen? You're like, like the greeting time, you're like, how do I get out of this, right? You're tying your shoe, you're having a seizure, you're doing whatever you need to just like not have to relate. Uh, I heard one guy talk about relationships. He says extroverts are, are like the grass Lego pieces with like all the little dots and connections. And introverts are like the two-pronged pieces, <laughs> right? And sometimes the spouse fits on that one. Right? <laughs> so I get you. I just want you to know that. That's why I'm not getting too rowdy. It's 9 o'clock. Come on. And some of you are like, well, I've been up since 4.30. Well, I'm not a Navy SEAL. I sleep. Okay, here we go. So let's get a running start. So he picks up in the inverse of being immature, rather maturity in relationship, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in this communal mindset that each of us gifted and wired um, uniquely come together as one, as the body of Christ, for the purpose of knowing God, making God known, in meaningful dynamic of relationships. Notice it says, speak the truth in love. The first thing I want us to notice is that gospel relationships are centered on Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean all you talk about with your friends is Jesus. You had that friend, right? Hey, I'm sorry you had a cold. Do you think God predestined it? <laughs> Again, it's 9 a.m., right? Why, why are you asking me that? They glory to God everything. My wife and I had a fight, glory to God. Really? You glorified God in your fight? Maybe in the makeup part, maybe how you forgave each other, but most fights I've been in have some ingredients of sin involved, Right? Usually the other person, but still, <laughs> you have to deal with sin. You have to deal with other people's sin. Yeah, <laughs> I'm usually wrong in my arguments with my wife, but just don't tell her. Um, speaking the truth in love, right? We, have you ever had that, that godly friend who's like, I'm just speaking the truth? They haven't listened to a word you said. They haven't tried to connect to other factors going on. They haven't really looked into the motivation or the outcomes of what's going on. They just want to speak the truth. They have a need to be right. And believers, I want to encourage us that what's more important than just being right is being helpful. 
Jesus Christ didn't come just to be right. He came to help. You see that in John chapter 13 when he washes his disciples' feet as a model for them on how they are to be right. With humility, with care, with submission. Ultimately knowing that we are not the right ones. We worship the right one. And therefore, his truth is articulated in such a way to help bring people closer to that which will give them the ultimate source of joy, which is God himself. Now, we can love each, love each other by not speaking the truth, but that's not loving at all. That's actually hatred. If we avoid the truth at all times and at all costs, we're not being loving at all. At the same time, and guys, I don't know if you've ever said this to your wife, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Or ladies, maybe you said it to your husband, or maybe single folks, you said it to your coworker or your parent. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. Typically when I say that, it's also what was said. But it's much easier to, to focus on how it was said. Stephanie, my wife, we've been together 23 years, been married to 18 of them. She says, are you really critiquing how I said it, or are you just trying to deflect from what I said? I said both, and I resent you for asking that question. <laughs> I resent what and how you said it, all right? So, no. But our gospel relationships, there's, Christ is the hope. I mean, if I go with a believer, I handle conflict with a believer differently than I do a non-believer. Not that I treat them differently or anything, like, like I, I, I treat them like, well, you're an alien, I'm not. No, I'm not that way. What I do, though, is as a believer, I come in with some presuppositions. I come in with this idea that we are going to fight for a way to forgive. We're going to find a way to at least mutually understand each other. Does it always work out that way? Unfortunately, it does not. But ultimately, as we go into it, Christ-centered, as Christ is the aim, because we've been so well forgiven, we're able to forgive. Because when we were enemies of God, God made us sons and daughters of God through his son, Jesus. And so as we approach these relationships, speaking the truth in love, building up the body for the sake of, of, of the good of everyone. Relationships are difficult. Relationships are frustrating. Relationships can be disappointing. Relationships can be hurtful. But in the same way as we studied in Ephesians 5 yesterday, that marriage is a sign of the gospel to all. That our relationships, the way the body of Christ loves and treats each other, is a testimony about something or someone. And as we engage in relationship, as we step out and risk out of isolation and loneliness, if Christ is not the aim, then we're going to make those relationships idols. You look to the person at your right or left and say, you're a horrible idol. Just right now, you're a horrible idol. You're a horrible idol. You're a horrible idol. And what you're really saying is, you're not a good God. Thank God for God. Right? Thank God for God. How do you make through marital strife and disappointment? Well, they're not God. And maybe if your life completely has fallen apart, maybe you've made someone out to be a God. First of all, it's not fair to them, and it's not fair to yourself, because you're created and redeemed to enjoy the real living God. And your spouse or your children or your friends or whatever, they're, they're really bad gods. Even if they're well-behaved. And even if they do everything you want them, want you to, you want them to do. And, but even then, that's transactional and not relational. Relationship through Christ enables us and empowers us to think beyond ourselves. And actually think about the good of the other person. Let's pick up in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. 
and the futility of their minds. Futility, futility is basically deathward in their minds, downward. The lens by which they're viewing the world as non-believers, as non-followers of Jesus, is leading on a path that the scripture teaches us leads to death. And so long-term, it's a death march. The way of thinking, is it life-giving? Is it life-taking? Is it towards Christ or is it pulling away from Christ? Is it helping or is it hurting? But the futility of thinking is, it's like the person that works 80 hours weeks for the sake of making a lot of money while neglecting their spouse and their kids, working for people that, other than the fact, may like them because they work well, it's largely transactional. Work is largely transactional. Yet most people ignore their families, neglect their families, for the sake of at least what we justify for providing for our families. Yet we pour ourselves out for transactional purposes and we get home and we have nothing left to relate with. I've been guilty of it. I'm good at work. Relationships are hard. A lot of work I do, I get. I understand. I, I know how to perform. I know what's expected. I'm married to my best friend, Stephanie. I have two daughters and even have a female dog. I am outnumbered by the ladies. There's sometimes a swirl of emotion just when you walk in the house, when you live with a bunch of girls. And she's like, uh-oh. Tears, and who knows what kind of tears that is. Like, I have predictable tears. Someone does really well in World of Dance, I'm happy for him, I cry. Sorry. <laughs> don't know why, still don't know. That's, that's, my psychologist can deal with that, I don't know. Someone dies, I cry. Someone hurts my feelings, I cry, period. Ladies, on the other hand, happy tears, sad tears, don't know why tears, grumpy tears. Someone's dog died that I don't really know, but I heard him talking about it, H-E-B tears. had a 13-year-old kid in the youth group at our church in Brenham say, man, I don't get girls. And I said, start listening to jazz. I said, you'll never understand jazz, but you can learn to appreciate jazz. I said, guys, man, we're, we're like in sixth grader in trumpet class playing scales. Right? It's like, there's a logical progression for most of us. Some of us are jazz. We play in worship music. I mean, so I play drums, so I'm, I'm a mix. But you just got to learn to appreciate the female, the female gender because I don't get them either. So I, I, instead of interpreting, I learned to understand, ask good questions. Tell me more about that. What does that feel like? What would you like to see happen? Frustration is often a symptom of the fact that your expectations are not met. What were you expecting? Are you trying to fix me? Bad question. We're gonna, that's a landmine. We're going to back away from that one and try another one. That's thinking with life-giving lenses, asking good questions, relating with each other, bearing with each other. He breaks this down. So he said, don't... don't no longer walk as the non-believers, Gentiles, do in their futility of minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice 
every kind of impurity. And, and I don't believe Paul is writing this to produce in us a, a shunning of and a removal of relationships with non-believers. But he is speaking to the influence of that way of thinking. The reality is I read all types of books. I listen to all different types of podcasts. Um, I, I eat pagan mints, not testaments only. <laughs> if you don't know what a testament is or you're new to the faith, they're literally Christian mints that taste horrible, but they're wrapped in some scripture, which is very confusing for the new believer. The Bible is good. This mint is horrible. I don't understand. <laughs> so, pretty livening up, and it must be near lunch. All right, so. <laughs> but the lens by which we listen and view and consume all things must be through the lens of what is true in Scripture. And the more time we spend in Scripture helps us, just like the Secret Service, to identify that which is counterfeit because we know it's true. And so we're able then to sit with our children and process through things they've seen, things they've heard, rather than being fearful of the world, being informed by the world, and being influential in the world, because we're viewing through the lens of the gospel. And so we're, we're enlightened, not in a better than you, but we have a different paradigm of looking, engaging, and thinking on this. And, and that's one of the ways we recover from this radical independence that our culture pr produces, and the consequence of that independence, which is loneliness. Part of the Ephesians 5 model of mutual submission and ultimately functional subordination in marriage is the fact that if sin has been dealt with, we're now free to live this way, to be safe and secure and enjoying God's favor, trusting that he is our lead. And that's something to mature towards. It doesn't just be like, I've been saved, now you submit, woman. So you're like, not funny, pastor. but you grow and you mature and you think differently. He said, that's not the way you learn Christ. Those things are temporary, they're momentary, they're self-oriented, they're transactional, and they will let you down. But, here's a contrast, verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits, the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have this changing of, of, of direction and of view and of thinking. The second point I would draw out of this passage is gospel relationships are an environment for gospel transformation. If you're expecting people you're really trying to have a relationship with to be perfect and to treat you perfectly, you're creating a standard that they probably will never meet. doesn't mean we, we carry low expectations, but we change expectations of what's owed to me to our hope for them in God. Because ultimately, when someone sins against you, they're really sinning against God first. And we ought, to, we ought to grow in our feeling offended for the Lord rather than feeling offended ourselves. As a parent, it's super easy. I don't know. I can become a four-year-old like that somehow. My youngest is now six, and she's not too mouthy. My eldest, though, was mouthy as a kid. She's 12 now, and so she's more sassy than mouthy. And I can still—I have sass. I can bring out the sass if I need to, but I, I feel myself getting drawn into that rather than leading through it at times. And part of this is saying, hey, you're able now to grow in it. And, and relationships are really the environment for this big church word, sanctification, to happen. And the sanctification means the process of becoming more like Christ, more holy. And through these different dynamic relationships, if we're going to give ourselves to them and understand it's going to hurt at times and people are going to let you down and I'm going to let people down, which I hate doing, 
because it makes me feel so vulnerable and so exposed. But when we understand that, hey, as we're thinking differently about relationships, relationships aren't to come be mutually perfect. I remember reading in a Bible, I got saved when I was 17 years old, I remember reading in a student Bible my mom bought me, that the church was never meant to be a show-off of saints, it's meant to be a hospital for sinners. Yet so many of us polish things up, get our act together, and come up here and act like everything's fine. And then we get mad at the pastor because they feel we, we, it's not working for us because we feel alone here. Well, you haven't made yourself available to anyone. And you're in an upperly mobile area, so everyone, I mean, most of us live in places where we can drive in our garage, close it, and not have to talk to the neighbor. And you send the kid out for the mail. The house that we just moved from, we had a front porch that we would sit outside and just attack people that were like walking their dogs or riding bikes. Hey, hi, trying to be missional people. And they're like, you're like, okay, well, try to throw things at them, you know, like, oh, sorry. Are you bleeding? Let me call 911. Would you like some water? Do you know Jesus? No, okay, so. One of the things that's easy for us to do is to be self-deceiving. And so when he says, hey, take that off, your, your deceitful desires, it is, is saying, I'm going to take the mask off for a bit. And I'm going to own what hurts and what I've done to hurt others. I'm going to begin owning that because in Christ, I've been owned by him. So I'm now liberated to then offer that ownership to help. When we put off our old self, we're able to say, and I begin, when we're, no longer, when we're starting to get honest and no longer self-deceiving, we're able to say, that's not best. It doesn't honor Christ best. It doesn't help my family best. It doesn't help my friends best. That's not best. I'm going to own that and by God, with God's help, put that off. And the good news is, He's not saying put it off and then good luck. He's saying, no, then put on. There, there's something to be put on. There's something that's been given to you. There's something that's even better. Several years ago, um, I had a friend at our church, and he said, hey, uh, my wife's uncle is a retired CEO, and he has a bunch of nice shirts. Do you want some? I mean, I don't know about wearing other man's clothes, but yes, I want anything you've got. And I hit the jackpot. I mean, like $150 shirts. I felt like a CEO. But here's the deal. When that thing heated up certain shirts, he has a different scent than I do. And as beautiful as that shirt was, when it got warm, that man stunk. I don't know if you've ever had one of those sneaky shirts that you think is, oh, I can wear it again. And it heats up when you've already left the house. And you're like, I am a walking pariah. No one should be near me. You pull into Target and you have to, quote, unquote, need to shop, ladies and guys. He's not saying put on someone else's Christianity. Christ has provided a perfect outfit covered in himself to fit you. And the danger for a lot of us who are growing in faith, we try to emulate and articulate other theologians and speak it as if it's our own and we become theological parrots rather than integrated theologians of how does this truth apply here in Atascacita, Texas, at Providence Church, and these relationships. And we, we have to be wise towards that and mature. I mean, that's the concept of maturing. For a while, yeah, you wear another man's shirt, and, you, you know, he's a CEO, and I felt more CEO-y when I wore it. I felt a little more successful until that thing heated up, and I remembered it wasn't my shirt. And in the same way, I think a lot of times that eventually, not, as much as any of you want to be John Piper, is John Piper in the house here today? Some of you are like, I wish. Don't we all? 
However, he's not calling us to be him. He's calling you to enjoy Christ. Pastor Court isn't calling you to be him. He's calling you to enjoy Christ. He's, he's letting you know that, hey, there's a clothing that's been uniquely made, not just for your own selfish benefit, so that you can give yourselves to others with the right protection, the right hope, the right guidance, that you can be vulnerable and intimate, that you can grow in risking with other people, that you can mess up and say you're sorry rather than blaming other people, that you can grow in maturity. Why? Because Christ is all and he's the game. So we take these things off, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The transaction that God has made through his son Jesus has renewed us and made us new. You're not recycled goods. You're not patched up damaged goods. You are new. You're clothed in newness. Now, you may be living still through the darkness of deceit of our former way of living. You may still have some dangerous and bad habits that you've brought into the faith that God in his grace through relational community in the church and through others' venues with brothers and sisters of Christ can help you form new habits and disciplines. I once heard a marketing expert say this. He said, we are 100% dedicated to our habits. So when people talk about discipline, when I'm coaching them, I say, look, let's put your discipline away, your, your put, but your discipline at eating because that's a good habit, right? So the 11.30 Whataburger run, because that's when the taquitos are live, I've heard. That's a habit, and you're disciplined to that habit. We're 100% disciplined to the habits we have. So when we grow in the faith, we start taking on new habits, I think we spend too much time focusing on the outcomes rather than the habit behind it or the false belief behind it. Martin Luther said there's no sin that isn't founded first in unbelief in our own heart. Sin is nothing more than an expression of unbelief in our hearts. So what are we not believing about God? What are we believing God's holding out from us? That's been a common temptation since the fall of mankind, believing that God's holding out. What are you believing God is holding out from you? Own that. Confess that. But then put on your new self and the spirit of your mind's Renewed in the spirit of your minds. This isn't the only place the Bible talks about that. That's repentance, changing your mind. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, that you are new. The new self is created after the likeness of God. The new self is righteous, not because you behaved righteously, because Christ is in you and you are righteous. We are called to be holy, which means set apart, not working on our own, trying to get holy enough for God, but because God is holy and he has given himself to us, we then can walk in a faithfulness and obedience to the structure and instruction of the word that we might grow more and more in holiness, not for the sake of appearing holy, but so that we can devote ourselves rightly to that primary relationship because out of the foundation of that relationship comes healthy relationships. Continue on verse 25. Y'all hanging with me? Doing okay, nine o'clock? Yeah? You're like, dang, he's going a long time. I'm hungry. All right, so... Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, let's, let's walk through this just a little bit. Speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I, I think it's dangerous for us to say, well, lost people and then Christians. Because guess what? You were once lost also. And if you're like, I was never lost, you might still be. The Pharisees thought they were never lost because of their birthright, and they obeyed all the laws and were very good and never said any other word than poop. 
They had well-behaved, they ate the right portions, gave the right amount of money, did all the right things, memorized the right verses, read the right books, went to the right conferences if they had them. But we're members of one another, that we speak the truth out of the fact that we can sympathize. Do you remember what it was like to be lost? And some of you came to faith early on and you have a hard time. Meet with guys like me that didn't come to faith until I was 17. We can tell you what it's like. The darkness and the shame and the brokenness and the guilt and the no recourse. And so you work to numb those things rather than be forgiven of those things. Be angry and do not sin. So anger is not in and of itself sinful. When I coach couples, uh, when I work with marriages, uh, I help them understand that it's okay to feel angry about that. It's okay to feel angry with them, but your anger is not a good excuse to sin. Just in the same way, it's not okay to sin because someone sinned against you first. That's still sin against God, right? The, the scorekeeping isn't what the other person did, it's the Lord. And because you belong to the Lord and you're standing under his authority, then you can't go to the Lord and say, God, you saw what she did. Because he'll say, well, you've seen what I've written and what I've spoken. And you're accountable to me, not based upon her or him or whatever else. Easier said than done. Be angry and do not, sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, my wife and I, my wife's a literalist in every way, and so we've had some very late nights. Now that we're getting, you know, I just turned 40 and she's in her late 30s, we get tired in different ways where our brain starts shutting down. Have you ever been in an argument with anybody you care about and it gets to the point where you don't even remember what the initial argument was about? But now you're just like, you've, you've dug that ditch so far that you're like, I'm going to finish the project. <laughs> One of us is walking out, the other is getting covered up. That's so loving, but don't we do that? So now we, here's, here's our routine now that you get older. When you're young, don't have kids yet, you know, have some soda or coffee or whatever, stay up, sort it out. When you're older and your brain starts shutting down, then here's what we say to each other now. I love you. I feel angry, but part of that's because I'm tired. I don't want to continue hurting one another. I'm for you. I know you're for me. We've got to figure this out. In the name of Jesus, can we please sleep? Please. And usually one of the, one of the people is part of the oomph behind the argument is they'd rather have negative attention than no attention because you've been busy and you haven't relationally connected in a while. And so we'd rather fight and have negative attention than none. And ladies, you know that he might be tired and busy at work, but you get his real, you know, pumping because you're like, I'm about to go spend $1,000 at Pottery Barn. <clears throat> right? He'll come in. You're like, quality time. Let's fight, you know. <laughs> Which is, just so you know, that's not, that's not healthy, okay? <laughs> we do that, but that's not our aim in Christ. I just want you to know, like, ladies are like, yes. Now I know how to get him going. Oh, you're going to ignore me. Well, cha-ching. No, don't do that. <laughs> but it says, don't give an opportunity to the devil. And so I think in our anger, we cannot sin, even if it's with someone close to us, by saying, I am for you. I don't want to keep letting this go. I am making up stories in my head. Let's, let's put stories aside for a minute, and when we're rested, we'll come back and hopefully grow in maturity by trying to sort out what's true. And if we can't do it alone, then let's bring in other people to mediate this because we care for each other. I'm, I'm a full, huge advocate of mediation. Let the thief no longer steal, right? That would be harmful to a relationship if you steal from someone. That's not loving or life-giving. Thank you, Paul. But rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that 
he may have something to share with anyone in need. Notice that. The outcome isn't just that you can have a new car. The outcome is that you might be generous. That's relation, it's gospel relational focused. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as it is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The third thing I would point out here is that the gospel relationships are a testimony to the forgiveness we receive through faith in Jesus. We're able to do these things and change these things not because it's just the right thing to do, but because it's been done for us already in Christ. It's been deposited in us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness we have has been imputed. It's been deposited in our account, and our sin has been deposited on Jesus and paid for. It hasn't just been whisked away. It's been paid for. You need someone to pay for your sin because you are bankrupt and cannot. You need someone to rescue you and forgive you and to give you a new heart because you, on your own, cannot. You need to experience the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ because you cannot earn forgiveness any other way. And if you're here this morning and have not yet placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, that's the relationship that first needs to be mended. There's only one way to be reconciled to God, and that's through hoping in Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection. Hoping in that allows you then to be acceptable to God and help to grow in righteousness. It empowers you then to be kind to one another. It helps you to think about how Christ has been tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you have been so well forgiven, who are you not to forgive? Now, forgiveness is different than trust. And trust is a strand, it's a rope with many strands. When you say to someone, I don't trust you anymore because you do this, you're in the same room. You obviously trust they're not going to murder you, so there is some level of trust. may not be much, right? I mean, when you get people that are so broken of trust, they can't even sit in the same room without other people, that's a trust issue. Most trusts have been broken in this area. So when you're fighting with someone who's a believer, say, I don't trust you to keep your word about showing up on time. Not, I don't trust you. Parents with kids. Don't, don't curse them that way. I don't trust you. Well, no, I don't trust you not to smoke pot. So therefore, you're going to lose your car for a while until I know exactly where you're doing and until you pass this cup test. Then you'll earn my trust. Because the last thing I want is my 18-year-old kid hanging around me all day long every day. It's a drag for you, it's a drag for me. I love you, but I wish you could go. Amen? Both parties are like, yeah, that's true, right? But that's part of loving somebody is, is saying, hey, building this up. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As my marriage matures in faith, we talk about, I'm sorry I was not tenderhearted about this. I was not kind to you about this. My anger, I send in this way so that we can then find restoration and hope and healing and to keep short accounts. Because ultimately, our aim in any relationship is Jesus himself. He's our aim, he's our hope, he's our goal, he's our outcome that we're going for is more of Jesus. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, let us do for the glory of God. As we hang out with non-believing friends, our aim ultimately is that they know Jesus. Not so that we win them to the Lord, but that God might be kind and merciful and save them. And that we might be able to play in the game.
And so as we think about gospel relationships moving forward, know that none of us are there yet. Most of us are very transactional in the way we approach everybody. And we have to go back to the ultimate transaction through Christ so that we can begin to learn to relate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray in his name. Father, as we respond to your your grace and your kindness and your mercy by enjoying the Lord's Supper, God, that we would be reflective of the fact that we're all not done yet. And, and Father, we need more help um, to understand the context by which the writer of Hebrews spurs, encourages us to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Father, you might be kind to us and help us to do that, that you might empower us and use us for your glory and for our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.